Welcome to the Swim Swam Breakdown. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Joining me today, Swim Swam co-founders Mel Stewart and Braden Keith to break down this week's top stories in swimming. Uh, first of all, the biggest story, ISL season three. We saw match matches three and four. Um, I had argued <laughs> that the draft was, was really going to even things out, at least more than we thought. Four matches into season three, not, not looking like it's doing it. Braden, give me your thoughts. I had argued that the draft did not do enough to even things out, and I am right. And do you know why I'm right, Coleman? Enlightened. Because, because I spend all day, every day, talking to Barry Revson, swimming's greatest statistician. <clears throat> he gave me this stat about the D.C. Trident. If the D.C. Trident had made the 10 best draft picks, so out of everybody we've seen so far that was in the draft, if they had picked the 10 highest scoring swimmers, they still would have lost to energy standard by half a point. So that's in a perfect world where they get the first 10 picks and they nail every single pick. They still would have lost. And so that's just evidence to me that the draft didn't go far enough. Um, it wasn't the 15 retained swimmers was too much because with the jackpots, there's too much scoring at the top end, you know, what Caleb Dressel doubled anybody else's points. Um, I don't think the draft, and we've, we've run some data about the draft so far. We're going to run some more in the next few days. I just don't think it did enough. Very scares me. He, I mean, every time I see him, he, he wants to talk about math and, and my brain starts to hurt. But uh, I, I appreciate the end result. That's, that's, uh, that's kind of damning. Um, I mean, what does that mean when, when fans out there digest that kind of information? And it's, and it's uh, yeah, I mean, what's, well, how, do you, how, do you, how do you fight in a world like that and, and, and know that you're going to have some sort of an outcome that makes sense? And, and how does this evolve season to season? Well, and the way you fight in the world like that is you get special treatment. So there's two cases of teams that have gotten significantly better from last year. I think we all agree that Aqua is better. They're no longer the last place team, but they got to retain the best available swimmer, even though he was never on their team. So they got some kind of exception and that helped them. We can agree that Thomas check on, but yes, Thomas check on. Um, we can agree that, that Toronto is a better team, but they got to use their last draft pick on summer McIntosh because we all know at 15 years old, she wasn't going to travel to Italy with any team other than the Toronto Titans. Um, they knew that we all knew that I'm sure the GMs had all agreed to that behind the scenes but they weren't forced to pick her at an appropriate round. So they got to save her for their last round and she's scoring a ton of points. So that's the way that we've seen teams get better. It's not via the draft proper. It's via loopholes. In product season two to season three, just, I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're just starting off here. Uh, it's a huge investment in all of these matches what, I mean, what, you sounded kind of positive when you said, hey, this, you know, the stream's kind of impressive. Um, you know, what, what were the improvements? I like, the, I like that you can watch one small portion of the race from underwater. Um, I think it would be very cool if you could watch the whole race from I, – I like the red flashing lane. Um, for the jackpots, I think it's important that people know before – sooner than 30 seconds after the end of the race, who's getting jackpotted. 
I don't know. It just feels like every year we go back to zero. We're not building on the prior season. It feels like we go back to zero and get better within a season. Okay, no, I, I, I'm, I'm just setting you up because you know where I'm leading into it. I had a, I had a, com, I had a conversation with Konstantin Kudryaev and and Konstantin Grigorshin. Uh, Kudryaev is the is the CEO. He's brought in to make sure that every single dollar, every single investing you know, a dollar invested, is being stretched and and used wisely. And I and I like these guys. And um, every time I I talk with them, I I like their vision. But it's um, they're high. It's clear and it's clear been clear from season one. They're hyper focused on this product, this production, and that's where all of the resources are. Um, how long can, can you have this shiny product? I think we've hit that point. I think we've hit that wall where if the meats aren't competitive, even, I mean, it's my job to watch these meats and I'm, I'm getting bored because of the lack of competitiveness. It just feels like every week, I feel like I'm watching the same thing over and over again. Um, and, and we can all agree, everybody in swimming agrees that it's better. It's a better format. It's a better presentation than almost every other swimming. We all agree on that. So, I mean, haven't they, haven't they climbed that mountain and isn't it time now to focus on the sport part of it? You know, it's, it's sport. What do they, they've got some word for it. Sports entertainment or something, some portmanteau, but like, we've got the entertainment part down. We've got the lights and the DJ, Shouldn't we be focusing on the sport at some point? I think it's funny that, especially in match number four, you had LA chasing Cali at one point, even leading Cali, I'm pretty sure, or like within 10 points, you had Aqua and DC fighting and Aqua at one point was, was almost up with LA. But then after the skins races, it's just like so distant. One, two, three, four, no team is close to any other. And that's, I feel like that's been the problem the whole time, right? Is that you have the skins races that are just so unfair and skewed to those top teams that it's just. Well, they talk about gamifying swimming, which is, I, I love that goal. I love that idea, but this is their third try and they're not making the game any more competitive. They, 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 with Constantine's mind, Mel, we've talked to him. He's a smart guy. He knows the math. He knows the numbers. They, they should know ahead of time. They should have been able to figure out ahead of time that it still wasn't competitive, that the jackpots are too much or the skin that, that it's not there yet. And they should have continued tweaking the format. They can't just wait. They, they need to do it. They need to rip the bandaid off and do it. Final thought, and you can, you can respond to this. Yeah, after, we're laying this entirely at ISL's feet. And uh, what we don't know is that in the background, we're dealing with a, with a community that hasn't been professional. And this is really, truly professional now. And uh, if, it, you know, if you're talking to the men inside the bubble, they're going to say, we're starting this, it's new, and we're dealing with, with they have to get athletes to think like pros, which means they got to show up and they've got to compete and they've got to commit. And I think that it, behind the scenes, it's challenging to get athletes to commit because they might not necessarily want to swim for another team. I am, I am a, again, I'm a hundred percent on board with the idea. I feel like I'm repeating myself. I'm a hundred percent on board with the idea, but they've, they've decided they need six months to run a season. There's just not a six month gap where you can fit a league like this into the current swimming calendar and expect full participation it's then bring, bring the money, 
bring another $30 million a year in prize money if it, and, and they'll show up. They'll start pushing off their other commitments and they'll show up. That's what you got to do then if you need this, this big chunk of time that people are only going to, because a lot of these athletes are still funded by their federations. They still have to go to short course worlds because the federations are funding more of their training than ISL is. All right. So we're only four matches into the regular season. We're going to continue having the conversation about ISL, what they can do better as the regular season, as the playoffs advance, moving on to the NCAA, obviously the biggest story of the week here is the big 12 could be adding four schools to the conference as soon as September 10th. Uh, What are we thinking here? Especially considering it is the university of central Florida, BYU, Houston, and Cincinnati uh, are the schools reportedly expected to apply to join the league next week. This week? This um, week. Report was written last week, so next week is this week. Um, it's, it's tough because we don't know what, what world this new Big 12 will be emerging in. By 2025, the world of college athletics will look dramatically different. Uh, I think they've done about as good as they could do in this world. You know, Central Florida has a recent college football national championship um, because college football national championships aren't real and Barstool decided to give them one. Cincinnati is a top 10 football team. Um, Houston has deep, deep pockets funding its athletic program and BYU has a big national appeal. I think, I think this is about as good as they could have done. I don't know if it's enough to be the fifth of the power fives anymore. Um, you know, we, we've all lived or have lived in Texas and we know the pecking order, right? It's like Texas, it's Texas A&M and then it's everybody else, but that's changing. A&M and Texas are getting harder to get into uh, Baylor and Texas tech and uh, TCU and SMU. I'll name the, the schools that have actual swim programs um, are, are growing, becoming more popular. Um, you know, I think it's, I think it's interesting that SMU is left out from a swimming perspective. I would love to see them uh, include SMU. I I get the football pressures for why not to include them because TCU wants to hold on to its territory. But from a swimming perspective, I'd love to see them throw SMU in there. And in that perspective, on a very micro scale, I see this being really good for the Iowa States and the Kansases and the TCUs of the world because they have a conference title to, to compete for. They have a good competitive, I hate to use the word fair because it's not like Texas is breaking a rule, but the big 12 meet, they go into it right now and they, they know the outcome, um, but this would be a good meet. This would be a decent meet. Cincinnati's a decent program. BYU puts out a couple all Americans every once in a while. Central Florida doesn't have a team. Houston, Houston sent more, more swimmers to NCAAs than the Texas women did a few years back. Um, so I, I, I like it. I just, it's hard to know what it all really means until we know the world that they will be living in. We, we judge everything by the, by the top schools. I, I make that mistake. You don't make that mistake. Every time I think something's going to be a little bit blah, it always turns out to be extraordinarily exciting. And on the back end, when we're watching the traffic, it blows up. So I, I'm, I'm reserving judgment. It's hard for me to think about this topic without thinking the shakeup, the tectonic shakeup of name image likeness and how universities respond to that and what they do to entice athletes to come there and uh, represent that. their school. I hate, I hate the idea that you're going to start recruiting 
based on how good your marketing program is. I just like, it's not fun. I don't know. Just, I, I understand why name image likeness has to happen, but that side of it is just like, I hate it. But if I can, but if I can go to BYU and they can take my Instagram following from 1000 to a hundred thousand, you know, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm a big talent. Maybe I'm looking at BYU. You think Instagram is going to be around and relevant? In five no, they years probably won't now? be. Well, sorry. Well, TikTok or the next iteration. Yeah. Who knows? TikTok's harder than Instagram. Instagram. I think Instagram will survive. It's easy. Um, I was just having a conversation with one of my friends about, uh, how, how a lot of these tech companies might get separated, like Facebook, you know, might get all of its entities separated into separate things and not swimming related at all, but made me think about the social media impact, especially as it pertains to NIL and, and what that might mean for the future going forward. But I digress, uh, big 12. So that's the NCAA. Uh, we have high school news, 10 national high school records were broken last week. Of course, this is in short course meters. So the question is, are short course meters national high school records cool? Uh, first of all, thank you to the Swim Swam readers. Nobody yelled at me for not putting short course meters in the headline. Um, that's a first. Um, I don't know. I think, they're get, I think it's getting cooler. I don't think it's not cool. Um, we all know that, that it's not the same as yards records, but kids are swimming faster in season than they used to. It's not like when old man Mel used to swim and – in, in September, you're doing 40,000 meters a day. So there's no way you're going to, you're going to swim anything fast. Um, so like it's, it's getting, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's cool. The names who hold them are legit swimmers. There was a point in time where the, the names who hold them are kind of, eh, I don't know that person. Um, you know, uh, Amanda Weir has short course meters records and, and other, there's swimmers you've heard of. So they're not necessarily the Caleb Dressels of Josh the world. Sikowski. Yeah. But they're, they're swimmers you heard of. And I think, I think coaches using them as a motivational tool for their, for their swimmers is very cool. Like that's my favorite part of it. Um, talking to Josh's dad, who's his coach, Jonathan Zakowski. Um, it's clear that, that going into the season, another COVID season and all, all the pressure of everything that's going on, like this was just a cool moment. And I think that's the value of high school swimming because sometimes in club swimming, you can't have cool moments. You know, that's it's cycle the heats through, cycle the heats through, next swimmer up, next swimmer up. But like the ability to kind of slow down and appreciate accomplishments is where high school swimming really adds value. And so from that perspective, I love it. Coolest PR move in swimming this year. If slam dunk. Uh, I only knew that it was short course meters because it wasn't in the title or the byline. I only knew it was short course meters because I think you texted and told me. And, or, otherwise, I wouldn't have read it. And I read it and I was like, I just kind of went to it going, ah. And I read it and I was like, these are legit swims. Um, as, as, as On the top end of this, it is stupid, idiotic, arrogant, and ridiculous that we don't swim 25 meters and haven't been swim, swimming 25 meters because we should always be swimming 25 meters to compare ourselves against the rest of the world. It makes me bitter that all these pools are at 25 yards, but I thought this was the PR move of the season. And uh, these are legit races. These are legit swims. I was like, this, that was one of the most satisfying reads I've had and, and a very long since the Olympics. Cause I've been Sub, like, I've been exhausted text. since then. Subtext Mel wants us to uh, get rid of short course yard swimming so that his records will live forever. 
Um, every time we report a Mel Stewart record being broken, uh, there was one a year ago at LaSalle. College kid broke his old high school pool record. Um, he sends me a lot of really creepy emojis that don't mean what he thinks they mean, but I can deduce that it makes him very sad. No comment. I think Braden uh, said it best from my opinion. Uh, you know, high school swimming should be an experience. It should be something that gets you into swimming because of the, because of how fun it is. And sh short course meters meets because we have so little info, so little data about them seems like it's an easy way to get kids racing to having fun. And like you said, to motivate them, Oh, I could break a national high school record. Like that's pretty sweet. Uh, and so on the topic of breaking records, this week we reported that after the COVID season, we finally have some data. The data looks pretty good. Uh, 63 U.S. national age group records were broken in the 2020-2021 season. Uh, so what are we thinking? Should we make our time out of the water three months now instead of a week or two at the, at the beginning of August? Do I know the best part, Colin? Turns out it was actually more than that uh, since reporting <laughs> that. So we were running off of USA Swimming's data. And since reporting that, people have pointed out some examples of what was missed. So we're working on getting the real number, but it was at least 63. Um, I mean, this is a this is what we've been talking about for a year and a half, right? Like everybody's panicking. Oh, no, how is my kid going to get a scholarship? Oh, no, how is, how is this going to happen? It's something's working. We, we don't know what, there's a lot of variables going into this. We don't know if it's maybe kids need more off time between seasons. We need kids, maybe it's kept the kids more focused and motivated. Um, but I don't know. I think it's cool to see when I saw that number, obviously we report on every single one. So we have an idea that they're coming. Um, but when you see them all together, it's just like, holy cow, like it's unbelievable that, that this happened, that there were so many, you know, we talk about the Paralympics just had 69 world records broken in one meet. Like what, what, ah, I don't, I don't know what to say. It like leaves me speechless. Um, we all grew up in a world. I, I know we all grew up in a world where your coaches said, if you miss three days of practice, it takes you three weeks to get that back. Uh, Sorry, sorry, Coach Nice. Um, you were wrong. Uh, two things: um, core strength, dry land training, core strength. That I mean, that's the secret sauce. Because athletes who don't have strong cores lose their body position. And I think that what they, these athletes had to go to dry land. They had to work on their core strength, and that's they they did that at a high level. The second thing is the uh, in high school, I swam singles. And I had, like, I gained all my speed. I never really got much faster in college. And I swam three times the amount in college. And I hear all these coaches saying, you know, you've got to lay this base between the ages of 11 and 17. And then you're going to live off that base as you get older. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't check out. It doesn't check out at all. Uh, Liam Custer, 1437 in the mile, 1516. That's that's stupid. Um, and he went, he went best times in like his first 12 swims back from COVID or something or something stupid. He just, he best time, best time, best time, best time. 
I, I wonder too how much of this is like sometimes young talent is just going to rise no matter what obstacles in front of them they're going to perform no matter what i mean we all had those moments when we were young when you're growing and you're getting stronger and you're getting mind body connection and you just start dropping uh, I, I think swimmers are a lot more resilient than we give them credit for is it is this does, I mean, not everybody did great during COVID and we don't need to pull up the examples because people are going to get mad at us. But is this, did this separate the coaches who are great at engaging their swimmers, who are great at being creative and interesting versus the coaches who say, you need to do this because if you don't do this, you will not be a good swimmer. And if you are not a good swimmer, you are of no value to my program. Like, I mean, I, Look, I think I think Mike Murray is an example. I think Jason Polano in Texas. A lot of these coaches that had a lot of success are the are the coaches who just like they just engage the crap out of their swimmers. Final thought: It's it's uh, I can't express to you how often I heard from coaches during the pandemic, and and I my heart went out to them, but they were suffering. They were they just they were so angry that they couldn't do what they've always done. And I, and I felt terrible for them and I'm, I'm showing them that I'm empathetic, but in the back of my head, I'm thinking, uh, you know, this is the way the world is right now. So go be great. It's like now. the coaches who work for their swimmers did well. And the coaches who expect their swimmers to work for them maybe didn't do so well. Uh, so, so we'll, we'll end that one there. Uh, moving on to the next topic. This one's a curveball. We didn't talk about this beforehand, but I think it's worth bringing up. Former Auburn head coach, Gary Taylor will be the head coach of Cavalier Aquatics. Uh, I, I think this was a bit of, of a surprise to the swimming community, but there was a lot of positive feedback um, in the comments section, which I think surprised people even more. Um, people were really excited to see him pop up back on the radar um, what did you guys think of this coaching hire? Because uh, we saw him as a collegiate head coach. We've seen him as a collegiate assistant coach. Now he'll be uh, age group coaching. I, we know he can coach, right? Like he, he, when he was an assistant at NC State, we knew we saw he could coach. Um, he's not the first coach who was great as an assistant and then went took over a giant combined program. He's not even the first guy to do that at Auburn and struggle. Um, the, there's a long list of guys at Auburn that have had that exact same thing happen to them. Um, from this point, it's all about, it's about whether he takes that as a learning opportunity and, and figures out how to build off of it, or if he blames other people and, and comes up with excuses for what went wrong at Auburn. Um, I think Virginia is a good spot for him. Um, you know, the Virginia coach has said right now he's going to be working with the age group kids and that might expand into a, a college slash pro group um, role in the future. For now, it's it's the age group kids. That's fundamental coaching, right? Like, it, I think I think every coach should spend time at the age group level because you've you've got it. You've you've got to go back to the fundamentals of coaching. You can't just pluck great swimmers and polish them off and send them through. Um, you've got to you've got to build them up. You've got to build a program. You've got to build numbers. You've got to encourage kids to want to be in your program where they have options, um, where they don't have to be there, where there's, 
there's not a baseball team pulling them away or the club down the street pulling them away. And it's a lot easier to transfer clubs than it is colleges. Um, so I don't know. I think it'll be a good chance for him to regroup, um, evaluate what went wrong at Auburn and um, get, get back to the fundamentals of coaching. Did he have a chance at Auburn? Did he, did he really have a chance? I mean, I, I just, I don't, I, I think that if you're going to coach and you're going to make a difference and you're going to create your own culture, it takes time. Uh, and I, and, and we all know this, what was going on behind the scenes. I mean, he was in a fight for his life getting into the position. I just felt like maybe he didn't have the best opportunity. He didn't have all the assets in place that he needed. Disagree I, with me. I agree. No, I agree to an extent. He had a big class coming in and, and we'll never know what he would have done with that class. However, going scoreless at NCAAs at Auburn, that's not, that's not, it's not my culture yet. Um, on year three, what, what, that was year three, right, Coleman? Yes. So on year three at Auburn, not scoring at NCAAs, I don't think is an option. And I don't think I haven't had my chance to build my culture yet is, you know, if you're, if you're 15th at NCAAs, the Auburn alums always want to be national champions. We know that. Um, but I, I just don't think not scoring at NCAAs will ever be acceptable for Auburn swimming. Well, and we know it's he has the support. We know he has the support this time, right? With, with Todd DeSorbo, his former NC state assist co-assistant, uh, you know, giving him the nod and giving him the hire, uh, he's, he's going to be supported that time. Well, and he's back in a, a, a situation where he can succeed like NC State, right? Like it's, it's a program with momentum, with a, a good head coach, with great leadership skills. So it's a, it's a place he can succeed again. Young guy. We're going to see him back in a head coaching position at the NC2A Division One level? For sure. 100%. If he wants to. May, you know, maybe he'll build a career at the club level and be happy with that. But if he wants to, he will be. I think we can leave it at that. Uh, this has been the Swim Swim Breakdown. Tune in every week for uh, your week's top news, top stories in swimming.